Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 983 of the Juicebox Podcast. Thirteen years ago, when she was 19 years old, Lauren was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. She also has hyperparathyroiditis and no thyroiditis. Um, I'll let her tell you. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're thinking about getting a Dexcom, use my link, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Considering an Omnipod, omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And if you'd like to get a free year supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first order, go to drinkag1.com forward slash juicebox. I drink AG1 every day, and you could too. Don't forget to check out the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes, for all of your diabetes community wants and needs. Today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by U.S. Med. Now, U.S. Med is where my daughter gets her diabetes supplies from, and so can you. To get started, just go to usmed.com forward slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. Get your free benefits check and get on your way with U.S. Med. This episode is also sponsored by Cozy Earth. Now, Cozy Earth com is where you go, and the offer code you use is JUICEBOX at checkout. Why would you do this? Well, you're going to save 40% off of your entire order at CozyEarth.com when you use my offer code, JUICEBOX. That's sheets, towels, clothing, everything they have, 40% off with the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. All right. Hello, Scott. My name is Lauren. Um, I'm from Chicago. I am a type 1 diabetic. I was diagnosed back in 2009, kind of a fluke situation. I currently use an insulin pump. I know you didn't tell me to say any of this, but I kind of went on a roll. <laughs> Go ahead. You're good. <laughs> I use an insulin pump. Um, I'm excited to kind of talk through just my really, I think it's interesting story. So here I am. All right. Well, Lauren, I will be the arbiter <laughs> of whether or not you're interesting. <laughs> I'm just teasing, I'm teasing you. Diagnosed in 2009. How old were you then? I was 19. So it's been about 13 years. Yeah. Okay. Back in Thanksgiving, actually, I was diagnosed. Okay. All right. And you have type one. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other mm -hmm. autoimmune issues? Um, I have hyperparathyroidism. So I suppose that's a constant issue. Yes. <laughs> in addition to type one diabetes. Lauren, this is the only podcast in the world where that <laughs> makes you extra interesting and a superstar. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have somebody came on one time. They're like, there's so much wrong with me. I knew I had to be on the show. <laughs> Unlike other podcasts where it's like, you're on a TV show? That's exciting. I'm like, you have hyperparathyroidism. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, okay, so 2009, 19 years old, were you in college? 
Yeah. So, so before I went to college, I actually studied abroad in Israel. I did like a gap year program. I know, didn't see that one coming probably. Nice. Um, I studied in Israel for a year, kind of taking some secular classes. It was kind of like a religious program and I got really, really sick. That's kind of the abbreviated version. I thought it was food poisoning. Me and my roommate were both really sick and then mine didn't go away. So she felt better. And then over time I was like, this doesn't seem normal that I'm still not feeling well. Yeah. I got the worst food poisoning. It's never leaving. And you it's went, literally never leaving. You traveled abroad in Israel. What are you, Lutheran? I'm just kidding. I'm Jewish. I was, so I was like, yeah. Yeah, Lauren. <laughs> Lauren, I was, I was kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. <laughs> Still getting to know each other. How long were you there? I think I was there for about six weeks. The program started in like October. I got really sick in November. And then after the diagnosis, I was in the ICU for a bit of time. And then I actually got to go back in February. So it was a nine month program total. Oh, I almost thought like, oh God, her thing got cut short because of this. And But you did go, <laughs> you would just went back on a different trip later. So it was the same trip. My parents must have been like a little crazy. They let me go back on the same trip in February after I kind of recovered and spent some time oh, at home. I know. That fast. God bless them. <laughs> that fast. They rolled you. Did they, they fly you home, fix you I up, had an, and ship you yeah, back? Yeah, nice. pretty much. In a nice little bow. I, was, I had an emergency flight home from Israel. It was like... If we're allowed to talk about finances, like a $40,000 flight home from Israel, I flew with like Netanyahu's paramedic. I had a nurse. I had some first class. I know it was a whole situation. Who are your parents? <laughs> they did not pay for that. It was oh. all insurance based. Yeah. Really? I got, well, I guess I don't know all of the details of that. I have a family friend who's Israeli and spoke Hebrew and helped create the flights. He's a doctor as well. Shout out to Dr. Eljadev. <laughs> Well, that's really amazing. How sick How sick were you? I was really sick. I was at the ICU in Israel outside of Tel Aviv for almost three weeks, and they thought it was appendicitis, so they wanted to remove my pancreas. But I did have some friends who also spoke Hebrew, and they were like, let's take get a second opinion. Hey, slow down, Lauren. <laughs> I think you meant to say pancreatitis instead of appendicitis. I, I didn't. No? I meant to say they thought I had appendicitis. They didn't know what was wrong wait, with me. Wait, wait. They thought you had appendicitis, and they wanted to remove your pancreas? I'm sorry, appendix. Okay, You're right. all right, all right. That's it. You misspoke somewhere, and I was like, one I apologize. Of them yeah. you, were, you were like, my head hurt, and they tried to cut off my foot. And I was like, wait, <laughs> yeah. what? Uh, okay, so they thought you had pancreatitis. Um, they thought I had appendicitis, appendicitis and wanted to remove my appendix. I wanted to move your but appendix. Found okay. out, yes. Thank you for the clarification. No, no, it's right. <laughs> Somebody's got to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. I was like, I know the story. So, so someone stepped in and said, this doctor I'm imagining that you know, and stepped in and said, hey, like, slow your roll. That doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What were your symptoms? So the night that I got sick, I had like a lot of vomiting, um, just really fatigue. I spent four hours at the hospital waiting to get just like seen by a doctor. Finally, they said there was a lot of like inflammation near my abdomen, just like, again, feeling really nauseous, not being able to hold my bladder and things like that. I had one of those tubes that kind of go through the nose. Couldn't tell you what that's called, mm -hmm. where it kind of like goes into your system. Um, I had that for about two and a half weeks. That was super fun. And then kind of just over time, they were like, oh, you know, maybe there was a different organ that we missed. And then they realized it was pancreatitis. And by then I was already on a drip of insulin because mm -hmm. um, my blood sugars were really crazy. Wow. Well, that's great. And, and are you type one at that point? Yeah. Well, so they told me that it, I had, so I did get diagnosed with pancreatitis when I flew back to the States. So it was acute pancreatitis. The doctors figured that out. They didn't know what caused it at the time, but they were like, you know what? You're on insulin. It could go away. They did tell me within a year or so that if my pancreas healed, I actually wouldn't be diabetic. And here we are 13 years later, still on insulin, but 
they figured out after about four weeks in the hospital in the States that it was caused by a parathyroid gland. That was kind of like all the way down in my chest. Yeah. So kind of. How crazy is it that, you know, I'm online too while we're talking hyperthyroidism or hyperparathyroidism is when your mm-hmm. parathyroid gland creates high amounts of parathyroid hormone in the bloodstream. These glands located behind the thyroid in the back of your neck are about the size of a grain of rice. Yeah. That's. And you have four of them. Yeah. Yeah. Now. It's crazy. So what do they do? Well, yeah. What do they do for this? Do they remove things? Do they medicate you? How do they handle it? Yeah. So back in the States, I was on insulin like for a long time. I mean, I'm still on insulin, but then about. Maybe six weeks after being in the hospital, they removed one of the parathyroid glands. So this really amazing surgeon with long skinny fingers, I guess, like (laughs) pulled it out. That's the story they tell me that it like broke because it truly is so small. So she had to like scope it out. Yeah. And then from then, you know, a lot of the symptoms started subsiding and I was just now like a diabetic. Now you were young then. So this question Mm -hmm. might not, you might not know the answer to this question, but do they take out just one because one was defective or do they take out one because they just wanted you to have three? Because it was defective. Okay. Yeah. So they were all in your neck and mine was like all the way down in my chest. They took out the one that was all the way down there. Wow. Um, so, and this is on these, these four things, these four parathyroids are on the thyroid gland itself. I think it sits right behind. But okay. Yes. Oh, parathyroid glands from, oh, okay. On the back of the thyroid. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Wow, it sounds like a delicate surgery. Mm-hmm. Are there any other issues that you're now looking like are you concerned about in the future or does this not are the, is this problem not indicative of other problems? Yeah. So they told me later on that something, you know, they checked, I get a check every year, you know, they check my levels of everything. Right now, all of the other parathyroids and thyroid glands are intact. So it's just the pancreas that truly isn't functional like at all. Okay. So you don't take Synthroid or anything like that? Mm -mm. I take calcium medication. So like a calcium supplement every day, but that's about it. Because you're now not making as much calcium or it's not being regulated the same? I overproduced calcium because of the hyperparathyroidism. And now I take it like once a day just to kind of even out the levels. Because it's being, it's being underproduced it, at this point. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. That's insane. <laughs> are, it's a wild story. Are there any people in your family who have gone through this? Or are there other autoimmune issues back in your um, in your family line? And could everybody in the world stop calling me at the same freaking time while I'm making a <laughs> podcast? Sorry, go ahead. They've got questions about hyperparathyroidism. <laughs> Maybe they do. <laughs> this is going to be my mom, by the way, who is now going to assume that the phone didn't work and try again. And <laughs> and if I text her, um, we'll never see the text. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. If you need to take a phone call, that's okay. I, I don't think I do. Unless, can you imagine if my mom passes away after this and it's your fault, Lauren, that I didn't answer the call? Oh my God, I will never be asked me on a podcast again. No, you'll be you'll be a mush. Uh, bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. What the hell was my question even? Um, you asked if anyone in my family has any other issues similar to mine. Thank you. The quick answer is no. My grandmother is type 2 diabetic. She was diagnosed in her late 70s. She's not by any means have any other issues except for maybe, you know, the grumpiness of an older woman, but there's no other type one diabetics. I had like an uncle on a, another side. An uncle on the other side who had? Who had type one diabetes, but we're not blood related. You're not so. blood related. It's just a guy you know. Yeah. Um, hyperthyroid, uh, Hashimoto's, uh, let's see, celiac, anything, you know, bipolar grandmother, anything at all? 
you'd think, but no, I'm no. sorry. Wow. So <laughs> it makes you a real anomaly in your family. Though. It really is goofy. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I had any predisposition and pancreatitis. I've always been told kind of happens in like maybe some older people who have some big drinking habits and things like that. So I had none of those. Mm. You, had, you, hadn't, you hadn't done 40 years of drinking in your first uh, couple? <laughs> Not at that time. So they never gave you any reason for why this happened? No. The biggest thing I could uncover from all of my like Googling and stuff was that it was like a dormant defective gland that kind of just, you know, I don't know if it was like stress induced or something like that, but I still to this day, I've had doctors come in and ask me questions for textbooks. And there was a lot of like learning doctors at the hospitals who were like, you're a puzzle. and. Mm. That's why I was like, that's unhelpful, but (laughs) it's, it's just, it's not really anything you can pin down, but do you, have you ever wondered just the illness, like the, the food poisoning? Do you feel like it like pushed you over an edge or something like that? I truly have a vengeance against this Chinese restaurant in Israel. I'm like, I will never go back. I have really bad memories, (laughs) but I do think about it sometimes. Yeah. Well, I looked up the restaurant and it's called the parathyroid (laughs) killer. So I don't know why you went in there. I think it closed now because of bad press. You know? <laughs> the, bad, the bad story about you. One girl's thyroid explodes after she has a dumpling and we can't do business anymore. Chinese restaurant in Israel. Must be amazing, oh, right? I'm sorry? It must be amazing food, no? Dude, it was so good. Yeah. I went there like all the time too. And to not be able to go back was a real bummer. I was going to say, you can't you can't pawn bad Chinese off on Jewish people. They won't have it. <laughs> That's not happening at all. Um <laughs> Can I ask you an existential question? I want to take a turn here for a second. As a young person, something that odd going wrong inside of your body, do you lose a little bit of that, I don't know what to call it, like that, that feeling like you're Superman when you're younger? Does it screw you up? Do you know what I mean? Everybody who has diabetes has diabetes supplies. But not everybody gets them from U.S. Med the way we do. USMed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. U.S. Med is the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide. They are the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide, and they always provide 90 days worth of supplies and fast and free shipping. That's right, U.S. Med carries everything, from insulin pumps to diabetes testing supplies, right up to your latest CGMs, like the Freestyle Libre 2 and 3 and the Dexcom G6 and 7. They even have Omnipod Dash and Omnipod 5. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and you can reach them at 888-721-1514 or by going to my link, usmed.com forward slash juicebox. When you contact them, you get your free benefits check, and then if they take your insurance, you're off and going. And U.S. Med takes over 800 private insurers and Medicare nationwide. Better service and better care is what U.S. Med wants to provide for you. USMed.com forward slash juice box. Get your diabetes supplies the same way Arden does from U.S. Med. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to U.S. Med and all of the sponsors. When you use my links, you're supporting the show. All right, I'm going right to it myself here. CozyEarth.com. I'm going to look at it with you. Ooh, semi-annual sale is here. It's interesting. Ooh, if I put in my email address, I'll get $75 back. 
which is on August 21st. So I don't know how long this will last, but CozyEarth.com. Here's what I've come to expect from Cozy Earth. Style, comfort, and quality. Material that makes me feel like I'm wearing great stuff. Or I'm sleeping. Listen, I don't even know where to start. I got the joggers. I got the sweatshirt. I've got the sheets. I've got the towels. I've got Cozy Earth all over this house. All over me. Arden has the pajamas. I love it. I swear to you, I've bought as much stuff as I have here that they've given me. And they've given me a couple of things because they advertise on the show. But I've bought twice as much using my own offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. It saves me 40%. It'll save it for you as well. I don't care if you want the viscose bamboo or the linen sheets. The stuff is quality. You can feel it. You know when you touch it. You're you're handling something and it's it's nice. You know, I, I mean, I know I'm not a... I'm not, listen, I'm a guy. I don't know how to describe clothing, but I can feel quality. I can feel comfort. This stuff has that. I absolutely pulled on the joggers the other day and thought, this is how Jay-Z feels when he puts on sweatpants. I I mean, I don't know if I'm right or not, but that's, that's the vibe I get from it. Thick, but not hot, not cold. You know, it just, it keeps you to perfect temperature. I don't know. I'm just telling you, it's terrific. You're going to get 40% off. Give it a shot. CozyEarth.com. Use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. You're going to love it. Links in the show notes of the audio player you're listening to right now and links at JuiceBoxPodcast.com to US Med, Cozy Earth, and all the sponsors. When you support the sponsors and use the offer codes, you're supporting the production of the podcast. screw you up? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great question. And to be quite honest, I actually think I had the opposite effect. I don't know if it was just this religious program that I was a part of. It was it was an Orthodox program. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I myself am not Orthodox, but it was a very spiritual program. And I almost feel like it was like I was in this really great spot of being among people who are pious and holy and people would visit me all the time. And I actually, you know, I really didn't feel that I was in like a depressive state or kind of like, why me? I think I had a really amazing support system. I got very lucky. My best friends were on this program too. Mm -hmm. They'd come and bring guitars and they'd sing and they would, you know, be there a long time, which is awesome. So I think if I didn't have that for sure, I would be a little bit more like, yeah, I was wondering about if your brain goes down the, the road of like, wow, two incredibly uncommon and rare things have now happened to me. And if that would make you feel like you were on unsteady ground, but so it sounds like support from other people helped you from having to wonder about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I mean, I was never alone. I think part of it's being 19 in a foreign country. So there's always someone kind of with you at the time. Mm -hmm. Definitely helped a lot. Oh, wow. Okay. So now (laughs) we're home um, after the trip, which I I guess I would, it's not diabetes related, but it would be wrong to ask, not ask you, like, what was your big takeaway from your trip? What do you think it did for you? And what did you learn? Absolutely. I would say in general, just becoming a stronger person. I think I'm a little bit passive, a little bit soft-spoken. I think it really taught me to, it kind of, I grew up a little bit. I think I really had to kind of be more independent. I had to kind of navigate these like crazy difficult things that maybe college students don't experience their first year in college. It really made me kind of appreciate my family more and kind of being away from them and 
yeah, kind of just building strong relationships with people. Things people don't normally experience like rocket fire or just like being <laughs> on your own and like how, what was your experience like while you were there? Yeah. So I would say, you know, we had a lot of autonomy, which was awesome. I definitely felt nervous sometimes maybe walking alone, but we were always kind of like chaperoned and supervised but it was really amazing. I mean, just experiencing a different culture that was outside of my own and really having to navigate that, not knowing the language. I still don't know Hebrew. Mm -hmm. I always kind of like showed my phone, like, this is what I'm looking for, you know? Um, <laughs> Help me, please. <laughs> yeah, it's just the bathroom, you yeah. know? Scary going into a hospital in that situation? Yes, definitely. I, a shout out to all the nurses, even if they don't speak English, do their best to help you through everything, though. They have roommates there. I, maybe America does this, too. I had to, like, share a room with, like, a woman similar to my age, and she had been there for, like, three months. And as she was, like, getting discharged and checked out, she left me this, like, poster that in Hebrew had some nice, beautiful saying, and she blessed me, and, like, that was really cool. I had no idea. I, we kind of grew close, I guess. We shared a room for, like, three weeks, but um, that was kind of a <laughs> different experience, you know, different roommate experience. Do you ever speak to your parents about it afterwards and what it was like for them to have a young child that far away and sick? Yeah, definitely traumatizing. My Jewish, my poor Jewish mother, <laughs> just every day awake. And the time difference was really tough. So I remember calling them and this program kept Shabbat. So like, it was like a big deal that I called them and I was like, listen, I'm at the hospital. Don't freak out. But like, I don't know what's going on. And my mom's like, what do you mean you're in the hospital? And what do you mean we have to come get you? And yeah, they definitely, I, I was surprised they let me go back after, after all that. Okay. So for everyone in the middle of the country who is now wondering, I think I know, but Shabbat, oh, yes. tell people what it is. So Shabbat is um, a Jewish uh, weekly, I don't know if holiday is the word, but observance where you don't really use your phone, you don't drive. Um, it's really a time to be together with your family, be with guests and things like that. And so on this program, we were having something called a Shabbaton where we were actually off our campus and we were at a different city. So we were kind of singing and eating and things like that. And we don't use our phone or electricity and things like that. And all of a sudden I'm like ill. <laughs> and I was like, I got to call my parents. All right, Lauren, test my understanding of the faith, okay? Is mm -hmm. it true that sometimes people will, like, have a neighbor turn on something to get around the Shabbat rules? So, like, you, like is that right? Like, you maybe you get a you, – mm -hmm. and you can't directly ask them, right? Right. You got to be sneaky about it. Called the Shabbos Goy. <laughs> I know things I shouldn't know. And I didn't want no. to say Goy out loud because I wasn't sure if I was allowed. Uh, but um, so you can kind of like, like in an example where you were in an apartment building and you wanted to use a, a, I don't know, a light or something like that. You can't turn it on, but you could have someone to your home and then mention how dark it is and 100%. hope they turn the light on. Right, right. So it's very true. Yes, you can kind of like indirectly be like, man, it'd be great if we, you know, <laughs> you know, accidentally turn that bathroom light off. Um, right. You're not supposed to directly ask. And and do people sometimes leave lights on so that they have mm -hmm. them for the next day? Is that right, too? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Why do I know that? Do you know a lot of Jewish people? Well, yes, but that's not why. <laughs> I'm going to guess it's somewhere between a sitcom and Howard Stern that I know that. Those are my guesses. <laughs> that <laughs> so, feels right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, those are my guesses about why I might. Because as you were talking about, I was like, I think I know more about this. <laughs> Which is just exciting There's for me lot. in general. Because you can imagine if I can't interact with you during this conversation, it's just really you talking and me <laughs> and me sitting here going, I have a podcast, yeah. but I don't say much. <laughs> I mean, what does that really mean at this point? I have the ability to record you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, if I'm not in the yeah. game. All right. So yeah. 
Tell me a little bit about being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at that point in your life. Obviously, it was a shock, but how did you know you had type 1? Yeah, so when I was hospitalized, they basically were like, hey, your pancreas does not work. You have something called type 1 diabetes, which makes you insulin dependent. And at that time, I really didn't know anybody growing up that had diabetes. I really kind of, I knew my grandma took some like oral medication. They really had to explain it to me like a five-year-old. They were like, you are going to take these like needles. There's going to be medicine in there. And I wouldn't give myself shots for probably like three months. I was like, I couldn't do it. I had the doctors do it. I had my parents do it. It was like so freaky to me. I feel like everyone has like a needle phobia, right? That's the thing. Um, Lauren, I have to tell you, I never understand when people are like, I'm one of those people who doesn't like needles. I'm like, who do you think are people who do like them? Exactly. Right. Like a a secret society of people are like, oh, you know what I love? (laughs) (laughs) It's easy for me. Yeah, yeah. but you you resisted it longer, though, than a lot of people do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think the denial stage lasted a number of years. And then slowly I was like, all right, this stuff is not going away. This is something I'm going to have to just like learn to do on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually did not get a pump until about six months ago. I'm 32 now. Um, I didn't get a pump until six months ago because I was so against it for so long. I'm going to ask you why in a minute, but first... If I don't Mm -hmm. ask you this, I'll never forgive myself. Uh, When you didn't want to give yourself shots, did you just trick your neighbors into doing it? (laughs) No, I did it. Yeah, that's funny. So I started using some humor to cope with it. And my fiance will yell at me. He's like, don't tell them you used to shoot up. That's not funny. But I felt the need to share that joke that I would just kind of like a little bit make light of it. Like I would leave and go to the bathroom and do it. But it took mentally like a long time for sure to like. Okay. The idea of, I've never really dug into this with anybody. So is it the pain from the needle? Is it the idea of you doing it? Could you not bring yourself to watch it go in your skin? Like, what was it about it that really stopped you? I have a very high pain tolerance. So I don't think it was the pain. I think it was watching because... What I think happened the first time I tried to do it, I think I like missed or it didn't like break the skin. And I was like, shoot, I have to do this again. So yeah, I think it's kind of the contact of the needle in the skin. It gives me like the heebie. Now it's fine. Um, But the first couple months, yeah, I think it was like, you have to make sure you're doing it kind of on an angle to make sure it goes through. That's interesting. And tell your fiance, by the way, that I imagine everyone who has diabetes has made up, has said, I'm going to go shoot up. I'll be right back. <laughs> I don't think, Thank you. Yeah, I don't think no one's not made that joke. So um, yeah, he's worried about the wrong thing there. Okay. So it took you a few months to get through that, but then you obviously were fine because you didn't have a pump for years and years. And then I want to know about that. I want to understand a little bit about what stops you from wanting an insulin pump. Absolutely. So I will say I did try it. I had the Omnipod for about six weeks. Um, But when I got my first job working at a hotel, I was in community college at the time. When it runs out of insulin, it makes that dog piercing sound that like literally only animals can hear. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there is no way that I'm going to like live with this noise all the time. Like what what is happening? Um, And I didn't know how to kind of navigate that. So that was a huge factor. I wish you would have known me because I would have told you, don't let it run out of insulin. (laughs) That would have been a great advice at the time. They're like, don't let it go low. But it happened. Yeah, a number of times. And it's piercing. And I kind of I remember just like taking it off and throwing it away. And I was like, I'm over this. I can't do it. Part of it, too, you know, when you're in college and you're young and you want to wear clothing that's tight and, you know, people can see it. um, I think there was kind of a stigma for me that I wasn't ready to be like, this is something I have and wearing overtly, you know, that I have diabetes. Then it sort of just became the way you did it after that. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine there would have been a time, I don't know, years later 
where you wouldn't have minded something being attached to you, but you just never thought back on it anymore? Is that what happened? Definitely. I th- Yeah, I'm just kind of stuck in my ways. I think as I got older, I'm like, I got this. You know, my A1C is fine. You know, I kind of like do my own thing. Um, but I think it really would have been more beneficial. It would have avoided a lot of lows, avoided some highs, being more in tune. Mm-hmm. So you said your A1C was fine. So what what were your goals? Like, how did your doctor set up? you know, what you were shooting for, I guess. Yeah, that's a great question. So I I think part of it was age. So like when I first got diagnosed, my A1C was like 8.5, not proud of that. Um, And then as we went on, he was kind of like, all right, we want to see it go into the sevens. And then ideally we want it to be 6.2 or five or something like that. But I I will say not having a pump was really hard to regulate. So that should have been a kick in the pants for me when my A1C fluctuated between seven, 7.5, things like that. But I kind of didn't know, I think the extent when I was 21, that that was like bad. I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'll work at it. Um, I exercise, I eat well, I, you know, do these things. But yeah, that I was just talking with someone the other day about this. And the idea of of an A1C, not just yours, but that moves around like that, like, you know, because the difference between a a 6.2 and a, a seven and a half, for example, could just be a handful of fatty meals that create rises that take forever to come back down and you're not really doing anything about it because you're not looking. And that Mm -hmm. really could just be the difference there. But what is it about the system that teaches people with diabetes how to help themselves where it's not more of an imperative when that happens? Like it's more of like, I mean, what you just described is very common. Like, I'm doing, I'm trying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we'll we'll give it a whirl again three months from now and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we'll spin up that test and see where I got Instead of like, why isn't it like, oh, my clothes are on fire? You know what I mean? Like, like when when your blood sugar is 250 for five hours, why is it not like, why do people not think, oh, I have to fix this right now? Instead, they go, oh, maybe I'll get it right in March. Like, like that's, I don't, and I don't know what the answer to that question is, but it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, not to blame any doctors because it's not their fault. I think there was no like urgency. There was no, like part of my education was like, this is your goal, but like, right. Except there was no consequences. And um, I'm a behavior analyst for a living. So now I kind of know how to like change my behavior, but I think there was no one holding me accountable ever, unless it was every three months. So there was no immediacy. It wasn't you know, I didn't have a pump. It didn't warn me when my blood sugar was 250. I had to check it next time I ate. And if it was 310, that stinks. And then I corrected it. So part of it was, yeah, exactly. There was no one kind of constantly telling me, hey, this is for your long-term health. This would be really valuable for you. Yeah. No, I I just always think about that. Like, I don't think it's apathy. I just think people don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they it, it all just kind of jumps from like appointment to appointment, which are usually three months apart. Mm-hmm. And then this A1C pops up and they go, oh, better, worse, same. That's it. And right. then, then it just, we'll, we'll see what happens next time. And I know it's, a, it's an odd way. You know, I was interviewing a type two recently and the feeling that I got from this person that basically the doctor looked at them and went, oh, oh well, you lost, you got type two diabetes. I guess your life's not going to be as good or as long. Mm. Use this and get out of here and, you know, yeah. eat better and, and exercise. And, and mm. that's just, a, it's just such a strange thing to me. Can you imagine? Right. If you went to the hospital and you said, uh, uh, I have a valve, it's gone bad in my heart. I, I, mm-hmm. I need I need you to clear the valve open. And they went, mm, nah, <laughs> you know, did this to yourself. See ya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's so weird Terrible. freaking thing. Yeah, it just, it's very yeah. strange to me. Um, Absolutely. Okay. You just said that you're, what do you do for a living? I'm a behavior analyst. I do ABA therapy with kids with autism. Oh, thank God. I thought you were like judging me right now. 
<laughs> I get that a lot. They're like, are you studying me? I'm like, no, 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 not that kind of thing. It was like, I haven't been nervous making this podcast ever, but it's going to happen in a second because you were like, can we use a camera? And I'm like, sure. And now I'm like, oh, God, she's looking at me. She's like, I'm watching I this I really guy. regret the camera. Yeah. I, I now believe you're looking at me thinking, you're not Jewish? <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously? Uh, oh but my all God. my Jewish friends, so I'm adopted, right? So for many, many years, I had no idea about my lineage whatsoever. But mm. every one of my Jewish friends was like, yeah, Yo, you're definitely like came from like some <laughs> Jewish household. And I was like, I don't know. It turns out furthest thing from the truth. I finally found out. I'm like the product what? of. So my birth mother, it was just like a, I don't want to say hillbilly because that seems wrong. Uh, but they were from a rural place. Okay. Mm. And it seems that they traveled a great distance. Have I ever said this on here, Lauren? I, I, I'm not sure. I I'm thinking through my own <laughs> recollection. There's 800 episodes. Uh, so um, they traveled. My birth mother, who was the oldest, I believe, of nine children, mm-hmm. traveled from pretty far south to pretty far in the northeast to track mm-hmm. down their cheating father. Oh, the plot thickens. This is what I've been told. Um, I believe my birth mother was around 19 or 20 years old when this happened. They ended up staying in the Northeast for a while where she became pregnant. The mother, which I guess would be my grandmother, was Mm -hmm. able to corral the cheating man and take him home. But they did not let them take the baby home. They didn't let her take the baby home, which would be me. So -hmm. they made her give me up for adoption. And then they went back to, I'm assuming, the side of a hill that they live on or something like that. Now, wow. you're looking at me now, and you're watching me speak with my mannerisms and everything, and you're saying, it's a good thing they left him up here. <laughs> I did not think that. <laughs> I think that. I, I look at myself, and I think, honestly, I'm totally going to be Ned Beatty if if they take me back. You know what I mean? Which, it is their loss. Yeah. It's a bad reference that most people don't get, <laughs> but it's not the point. Anyway, um, that's what – I don't know why I told you that. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> You're very welcome. (laughs) Oh, and I have another thing I want to ask you. When you say that's a good question, is that a conversation technique or do you believe it's a good question? I genuinely think it's a good question because it forced me to think about it. Okay. All right. Again, this is my first podcast. I don't know the etiquette. (laughs) There's no etiquette. You're doing great. Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I mean, there are conversation techniques that people use. And I think that's a good question is one of them. It gives people time to think. Mm-hmm. Right. And it and so it gives your brain a minute and you don't have to begin to speak right away. So what it generally means is, oh, you've just asked me a question. Somebody hasn't asked me before. Mm-hmm. That, that's the idea. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I learned yeah, that. I, uh, I was going to say yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a joke and now it, it seemed wrong for me to even say it. I was going to say something like I learned that when I was abandoned in the hospital. <laughs> I'm really bringing out some triggering information. But I was too young for that, so that is not. So the joke didn't work, and then I thought, oh, people won't find that funny anyway. Had I been in a group home for a number of years, then I could have said, like, oh, I learned that in the group home, and then that would have been funny. But um, anyway. It was still good. Yeah, yeah. That was quite a departure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I know where we were, so. Great. So you are living as an adult on MDI. 
you're not struggling with your A1C because nobody's telling you you're struggling, but do you have an internal feeling you'd like it to be better? For sure. Yeah. So after doing like my own research, I was like, I definitely should be at a different level where I'm at. But again, I couldn't bring myself to get the pump, even though I knew it was like the best next move. So I would do things like, I'm just going to like check it more frequently. I'm going to, and I actually like used to mess. I don't know if I should like admit this on a diabetes podcast, but I used to like mess with my insulin counts like my cart ratio count a little bit and I would like reduce my lantis a little if I like ate like less or like I things you're not supposed to be doing as someone without like a doctor's oversight. So Does that Lauren, make sense? It's super interesting that you said that. So <laughs> I'm gonna guarantee you that 89.1715 all the way up almost 90% of the people listening to this podcast are like, oh she's delightful. These people are moving their <laughs> insulin around all the time. And I would I would argue that that is what you should be doing because mm-hmm. you can't make an adjustment three months from now from something that happened today. It's not going to be meaningful. And the, mm-hmm. the entirety of how we have this system set up for people, I think, is wrong. I think if you listen through, I know you've heard the podcast, but don't listen, mm-hmm. listen to it. There's a series inside of the podcast called Diabetes Pro Tip. If you mm-hmm. listen to that, you wouldn't have said that. You would have said, mm. Scott, you would be proud of me because here's what I did. And because that's how I think. I think that the entirety of managing type 1 diabetes is understanding that diabetes is about timing and amount mostly. You have to use mm-hmm. the right amount of insulin at the right time. And that yeah. those things are going to change based on your activity, variables, mm-hmm. and even just the glycemic value of the food that you're eating which Mm -hmm. changes from meal to meal at times. Absolutely. And everything affects it. Like coffee spikes my blood sugar, where I think for some, it like totally doesn't affect it at all. And I definitely outed myself for not saying I listened to the podcast because I agree that would have been a normal thing to say. You don't have to listen to be on the podcast, by the way. So don't worry about that. That's not a problem. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, No, I just think that that's good. I wish you would have gotten to it sooner. But I mean, I think that's amazing. Like the um, like, what do you do? during an illness or your period, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you're not willing to manipulate Mm -hmm. your insulin to fit the need, you know? So I, the the biggest thing is that I didn't know I could, if they had told me like, Hey, this is something you just kind of figure out as you go. I think I would have been a lot less stressed about it. I was very much like a rule follower. I like always did it at the same time at the same, you know, all the things. And then as I got older, I didn't drink alcohol for a really long time. Cause I didn't know how that would affect my blood sugar. And then when I actually drank alcohol, that was like a huge adjustment, like knowing how to navigate the real, the really highs and the really lows. But yeah, no one really tells you that. I think I was too afraid to ask those questions too. Like, Hey, what, happens if I get super drunk and I forget to take my nighttime insulin? You know, what are the repercussions? Well, that's, that's interesting. Can I say that on here? Repercussions or alcohol? Drunk. Drunk. (laughs) We have an entire series of after dark stuff. You could have come on here and talked about sexual abuse, weed. Uh, One girl came on here and talked about being diagnosed during a heroin bender. Um, Yeah, you can say drunk. (laughs) (laughs) There's not, I told you before we started, I don't care what you say. (laughs) Did you think I didn't mean it? No, no, I just double checking. <laughs> like there was a moment, just imagine there was a moment I was interviewing somebody and she spoke about escaping from her grandfather's house, I think where her family had put her to try to get her off of drugs. And she jumped out a window and she was basically loose in the town looking for heroin. And oh, at that point went to DKA. Oh, no. and that's how she was diagnosed with diabetes. That's wild. And I just looked up at you and you're like, it's, I hope it's okay if I say drunk. <laughs> you're like, was, say it four times. I was see like, what say drunk. <laughs> I would prefer if your story was better. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, I could tell you what happened a few days ago at my workout class. It's not the same. I had to leave early because I had a super, super low and my insulin, my pump was going bananas. It was beeping. It was so embarrassing. I thought you were going to be like, I was looking for meth and um, (laughs) no. So so at what point, or I guess I don't even know, but during this progression, do you end up with a CGM ever? I do have a CGM. Okay. Oh, um, you're saying back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I did. Mm-hmm, I trialed one out for a while. It almost just kind of like didn't make sense because I didn't have the pump. So I kind of put it off. And then when I went out off my parents' insurance, I was like, I can't afford this $8,000 piece of equipment. So which I could have because it would have been covered, which I didn't know. Um, so that was actually a big barrier to financially until I realized I'm like, wait, insurance absolutely covers this stuff. Like, I think I was looking for excuses not to get it. I was going to say you're either a paradox somehow <laughs> or you were kind of lying to yourself at points. For sure. Yeah, right. Because you, yeah. you're you've said a number of times you're like i can't do this but turns out i could have yeah oh yeah (laughs) so you didn't want to do it a hundred percent right yep okay yep but you call yourself a rule follower so if someone would have told you that it was imperative to have a cgm do you think you would have just done it probably I, i think that that would i mean and my doctor did say he's like this is definitely the best course of action but again when you're 20 and you're kind of like you know i just it didn't want it on me and Mm -hmm. it was like a whole thing even now Mm-hmm. You worked at a hotel, you said, when you were younger. I did. Is that like working in a restaurant? Um, well, I've never worked at a restaurant. So here, not... Here's the thing I'm going to ask yeah. you. They say that restaurant employees uh, do a lot of uh, intermingling after hours. Does that happen at a hotel, Lauren? It does, but not in the weird way that you're alluding. Okay. <laughs> I did get some goofy people that would um, ask me to like take them on tours of Chicago. And I'm like, you are in Deer Park, Illinois. There's no way. There's nothing here. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the part of Chicago you're thinking. <laughs> right. Exactly. We have Target. Yeah. No, there were some. <laughs> we have Target. This is a red roof inn, not the Ritz. Right. <laughs> so, okay. So what I was imagining yeah. is not happening. Um, and... I don't know where I was going with that. Now I, know, I was like, I got questions where it was headed. <laughs> well, I think I was asking if everybody was banging each other after hours. Oh, that I don't know. Okay. I, I guess it's possible. You weren't, I is what you're saying. I, I wasn't, okay. right. If you were, would you tell me? Probably. <laughs> now that I know I'm able to. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, okay, great. Okay, so okay, so CGM <laughs> was brought up to you. You did trial it a little bit. How long ago? Like, Did you get a like a real, like, right now they're amazing, or did you get sort of like yeah. one of the beginning ones? I think I had a beginning one. Now I have a Dexcom and I love my Dexcom. I like can't mm-hmm. imagine not having it, but this was probably, ooh, I think it still was a Dexcom, but they were like much bigger, I feel like, than they are now. Yeah. So the, the receiver was weird and clunky. So did you have like the egg shaped mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, mm-hmm. so basically you had one of the very first ones. It was mm-hmm. good. I mean, I'm not going to, I wouldn't badmouth it. It saved my ass with my daughter over and over again, but it was yeah. not as like, finely tuned as they are now mm-hmm. as far as the you know, the data you get back uh so okay so you tried it you yeah. went backwards when did you finally end up with one was a dexcom first or did the pump go first um i got the dexcom first and then the pump yeah okay. and so, and it's awesome because now you can bolus from your phone which is amazing that also helped so i don't even have to take out the pump so you're using a tandem pump now i am yeah, yeah i have okay. a tandem you're using control mm-hmm. iq or I am, yeah. Also life-changing. Yeah, Let's so let's talk about that. So once you get the CGM and you're really Mm -hmm. starting to see the benefit of it, what's Mm -hmm. the first thing that seeing the data makes you think? 
it was worth it. <laughs> it was <laughs> worth it. To, and I'm data driven for my like career. I'm really into graphs and numbers. And mm-hmm. I like love to graph my own blood sugar, which is probably weird. But it was really cool to see just the in range and having that percent of like, hey, you were in range 90% today. That's really reinforcing for me to see it like stay within that range. Because I never had that before. I never knew what my number. It's a little obsessive. I don't know if other people feel this way. I'm like always checking it. But it is cool to know at any moment where you're at. So you like the positive reinforcement that you get from it. I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just like bare bones though. Like when you put it on, did you think, oh wow, I spike after every meal or I'm low here mm. and I didn't realize it. Like, and then because I'm assuming that your A1C and your variability is better now than it was mm-hmm. before that. So like, I'm wondering mm-hmm. what, you know, when you looked at it, what screws did it make you want to turn? Like change in my day to day or like? Yeah. Well, change in your management and how you used insulin or even how you ate or anything like that. Like what Did you make adjustments Mm -hmm. off of seeing the data? A little bit, yeah. So I guess I take less insulin than I did before. That was kind of nice because it's always giving that like basal amount, which I didn't know what basal was. I didn't know what bolus meant. Like I didn't know really, I guess I knew what bolus meant, but that's been really helpful. So like being able to like, kind of not that I don't eat what I want, but kind of eat more freely because the algorithm calculates it for you. I don't know if that's kind of what you're getting at. So it's a little bit less thinking now than when the pens you have to like twist and adjust, Mm -hmm. um, give yourself a correctional amount. It kind of like takes away some of that like mental math. Yeah. I'm not trying to get to anything. I'm trying to pull out (laughs) what your actual story is. Like, I don't care what your answer is. I just want to hear it. That's all. So um, yeah, because what my imagination is that whether you're a person who understands insulin out to the nth degree or you're you or you're someone else or you're a person who's not bolusing. Like there are people listening who have these stories and I think it's valuable Mm -hmm. if you tell Mm -hmm. yours so that other people can hear theirs in in your story. Because I mean, when you say you didn't know what basal was, when you were MDI for all those years, did you like, let's understand what that meant. You injected basal once a day, I'm gathering. Did you ever put it in and think, this is the insulin I'm using that holds my blood sugar stable at a certain thing. It has nothing to do with my food. Like, did you have that understanding of it? Or was it just like a person who told you like, hey, this is this much at this time? For a long time, it was just people saying you give the Lantus at night and then you take the Novolog in the daytime. No one ever told me that you can stack insulin. I had no idea what that was for, until 10 years after I was diagnosed too. So I, I do think I didn't get the same. Maybe I did get the education and I wasn't paying attention or there wasn't like enough follow-up. Um, but absolutely. I, I They never said like, your Lantus, you know, you take it this time and it keeps you regulated overnight. And then this is your short-acting insulin. They probably said it was short-acting, but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that that was to combat the carbohydrates you ate throughout the day. I didn't know that certain foods could spike my blood sugar. I'm making my team of doctors sound really terrible, but no, I think it was... <laughs> no, I think what you're doing is giving a fairly accurate assessment of how most people are shepherded through type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Like, here's enough information for you not to hurt yourself. You're mm-hmm. not really going to be able to help yourself too greatly because you don't understand a lot of the moving parts because we haven't told them to you. And because mm-hmm. I'm guessing of the age you were when mm-hmm. you got it, you were sort of like, I don't really want to know about this. This sucks. I want to go to mm-hmm. Israel. I want to work in the Red Roof Inn. I want to, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to learn things. Then by the time you come through it, I think that the direction you got was good enough that you were generally Mm -hmm. healthy, so you Mm -hmm. had no reason to look and go, oh, I'm not doing this right. Whereas you can hear any number of interviews on here where people come in, they're diagnosed at your age, they don't give a crap, their health gets poor through college, 
then normally what happens is they meet another person that they care about and then want to do better for themselves because I don't know why that is. I have to ask a therapist. But um, but why you suddenly see value in yourself when somebody else sees value in you or when you yeah. have a responsibility to another person, which, whichever. Mm-hmm. And then they mm-hmm. have to reassess because they're so bad off, there's no mm-hmm. ignoring it. But you were in a, a reasonable place the whole time, right? Yeah. So there was no reason yeah. for you to like sit down and go, hey, Google, what is basal insulin? Or what, you know what I mean? Like, really tell me, like, what is this thing I'm doing? Because you were doing okay. Absolutely. What makes you want to understand it better after that? Or do you not? Or are you just like, hey, this algorithm works and I don't give a crap why? No, not at all. So actually within the last year, because I'm part of it is actually having a partner who's in the medical field. And I think he kind of pushed me to be like, Hey, yeah. Right. Which Mm -hmm. like, unfortunately it took maybe another person, but, you know, kind of saying like, Hey, there's all this stuff out there. Like you should really be, you know, checking it out. It would improve your life. It would kind of, so I think slowly I was like, you're right. You know, like I've kind of put this off long enough. I I'm an adult. I need to like take care of myself. Also just being on a job that's kind of stressful and like moves like the day to day is always changing and kind of needing to be a little bit like I don't need at the same time. So having a pump really keeps me accountable and like maybe reminds me if I'm going low or things like that. Just like my my life has evolved in general. I've gotten more education. I have a master's degree. I, I really enjoy research and articles. And I'm like, why haven't I applied this to myself? So it kind of was like a bit of awakening, but it kind of took a little bit of my partner being like, hey, this this exists. This would make your life better. You should look into it. Right. And then you're an anomaly on the show in that you weren't like in a really bad situation or you weren't the kind of person who either was super type A and like, I have to understand all this or had a parent who was up your, you know, because you were diagnosed, like, we're going to take care of it and you just go to college and we'll, we'll stay on top of everything. You're lucky. I don't think, I don't know that you know that or not though. I've spoken to a lot of people with diabetes, like your path is lucky. I think that's my assessment, whether you're not really asking me to assess you, but like that, that really based on all the people I've spoken to. Yeah. I think you got, and the reason why I say that is because I've also spoken to a lot of people who are much older who can talk about their life. Like you're talking about a little in retrospect right now, not a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. But I've spoken to people in their sixties and their fifties and their seventies sometimes who have had diabetes their whole life. And Mm -hmm. when they look back and they're still healthy now, they have no idea why. And we pick through their stories, and sometimes their stories are just, they got lucky along the way. I think you're one of the lucky people. That's really nice. I've I'm never a, been told that about my diabetes, but I appreciate it. I am absolutely going to have to get, I'm going to have to keep this going for a really long time and have you back <laughs> on when you're like 55. <laughs> Check it in 10 years. Yeah, thanks. How me. old are you now? Would you just say 33? 32. 32. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. I'm 51. <laughs> You're 32. You don't. Th- I can't make a podcast when I'm in my 70s. <laughs> and just be an old man clearing his throat the whole time. <laughs> I'd be like, you, uh, hold on. <laughs> I'm so dry. My teeth are sticking to my teeth. <laughs> you could. People do it all the time. How many people yeah. are speak speak to their older parents and before they talk, go, mom, take a drink before we start this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clear your throat. 
Uh, anyway, I, I know that might be weird. That's, I mean, let me ask you, is that strange to hear? It is. I've never been told that. I I do think as you were kind of talking, I'm like, did I just like cruise through the last 10 years of diabetes? And was that all like, I, cruises maybe like a loose No, term. no, I didn't want to say that, but yeah. Yeah. But like, maybe I did. Like, I never thought about it that way. It kind of just like was what it was, you know, like. You're like the character I'm... at the end of the action movie who's not dirty and everybody's like, why are they still alive? <laughs> <laughs> I thought Lauren was going to die in the first act. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the first like three years were really rough of just adjustments. And then I think I just kind of like accepted it. I think I was just like, there's no other option. This is just part of my day to day. And again, I, I feel very lucky. I have an incredible support system. Um, I, my, my dad's big into like mindfulness and like, you know, whatever. And I think that rubbed off on me because I, I practice that stuff and I try to practice just self-care and giving myself a break when I have tough days. My I'm, pump is beeping right now, by the way. I don't know if you can hear it. It's the only podcast in the world where nobody cares. Um, <laughs> I just wrote down what I think is the title of this episode, which I think you're too young to get. But oh, no. I might call Should it Google Last it? Action Hero. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> okay. It's a, a, par- it's a parody movie. Uh, anyway, that's, wh- that's where I'm at right now. Because I'm just a big paradox. <laughs> Either that or I'm calling it. Something about Shabbat Goy or something. I'm not sure. Those are my <laughs> those are my ideas right now. Uh, but Love no, I, and I don't mean this. And you're obviously taking it the right way. I I'm not being. A, I I don't mean it in an insulting way. I don't mean like oh you were just a big dummy who got lucky. Like I'm not saying that. I'm saying you were doing what you were told to do, but it actually worked for you. You know what I mean? Whereas a lot of Mm -hmm. people get told what to do and they stick to a very strict regimen and it doesn't Mm -hmm. work for them. Maybe for reasons of as it might be as easy as their activity level or the kinds of food they eat. Like maybe your Mm -hmm. meal choices just fit well enough with that, that you had nice outcomes. Maybe you were a person who exercised uh, consistently. And so, you know, you had some highs, but they were maybe brought down by who knows? Like Mm -hmm. This is fascinating. Mm Well, I will say so hot take, but I like eat the same foods all the time. I probably learned that from like my grandmother who's type two diabetic that just like every day ate oatmeal and a sandwich and whatever. So that really did work for me. I think it was really hard for me to stray. Like I didn't drink alcohol, like I said, like Mm -hmm. for a number of years because I didn't know what the outcome would be. So I'm very rule governed in the sense that like what works for me, I kind of stick with, but I still had highs and lows. Like my A1C still was kind of goofy up until like two years ago. Now it's in the sixes, which is great, but shout yeah. out to that yeah um, no kidding but- <laughs> thank, thank you to all the people who made up all the algorithms because honestly amazing and dexcom like, somebody mm-hmm. said to me one time dexcom's expensive i was like listen you hey, this is the wrong place for this but you know people make businesses to make money i don't care mm-hmm. what they're making nobody mm-hmm. you don't have a cell phone if the guy who came up with it first wasn't like i really want to make a bunch of money and i think this is how i can do it <laughs> you yeah. know and then yeah. you want, and then once they come up with a product that really is great you want them to innovate it and mm-hmm. you want them to make it better or faster or smaller or whatever whatever the hope is for it and i don't know what people think but that takes money it takes people it takes yeah. smart people and mm-hmm. educated people those people want to get paid and yeah. you know like so i mean listen I wish everything was cheaper for everybody, and I genuinely mean that. But mm-hmm. I am also – I want these companies to exist, and I want them to thrive. Because yeah. you're, we could go back in time and find a 19-year-old you and slap a present-day Dexcom G6 and this Control IQ on you. Mm-hmm. You probably have a 6A1C for the last – every year you've been alive, you know? so My biggest uh, regret. 
Really? Is it really? <laughs> a little bit. I probably, maybe not my biggest. Yeah. It's up there. <laughs> now I want to know what your biggest regret is. <laughs> Ooh. Bangs. Ba- <laughs> your hair. <I> thought- <laughs> Bangs you is know, your biggest regret. <laughs> prob- yeah. I have a big forehead. They look silly. <laughs> That's anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, if bangs are your biggest regret and you're being honest, then I think you're doing okay. Um, okay. So you're obviously this boy is going to marry you. It sounds like, um, and Two you're going to, and you, one week. Whoa. You're getting married in a week. Next, next weekend. Seventeenth in Chicago. In Chicago. Good for you. Isn't that nice? Um, Thank you. congratulations. So what <laughs> I was going to ask is, do you think you make little babies one day or is that not on your radar? I hope so. That's the plan. Yeah. Hopefully they won't be, you know, full of health conditions, but if they do, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they won't be full of health conditions. Does the fiance have any autoimmune on his side of the family? His mother has, I believe, Hashimoto's. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, your yeah. kids are going to explode probably then. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the only thing that I know of. One day you'll be holding up a little kid going, oh, Michael Jackson had this too. <laughs> <laughs> Poor reference. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? I, who else had Vitilago? I need a better <laughs> reference for that. Hold on a second. <laughs> I need famous people with Vitilago so I can go, all right, hold on a second. Let's figure that out. Um, I'm going to edit that one out. Well, no, I'm not going to edit it out. I'll just say it again. It'll be funnier that way. <laughs> um, the, all right, hold on. Famous people with Vitilago. Winnie Harlow. Okay, there's not a ton of people here. I don't know who that is. Well, okay. So all I Googled was famous people with vitiligo. And now I'm scrolling through a number of people I don't know. Like you're waiting for Mm -hmm. someone to like just jump out and you'd be like, oh, I know who that person is. (laughs) Okay, John Hamm. I know that oh, person. Oh, wait, John Ham. John Ham is the actor. Is that the Mad Men guy? Yes, who is okay. what 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 is he famous for? Test your level of depravity. Bridesmaids. Mm. No. Oh, oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's got the energy. <laughs> um and so <laughs> I that and Shabbat. Why do I know this stuff? Um Okay, Rashad uh, Rashid Wallace was a basketball player. People might okay. know him. And then Winnie Harlow is a model who I feel like I recognize. Gotta Google her. But I gotta oh, just yeah. tell you. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I, you, oh, she's beautiful. You scroll this list. Michael Jackson's the only one that jumps out to you and goes, I know who that is. So anyway. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Graham Norton. I guess if we were British, I would have known that. <laughs> also, he I don't know how that's possible. Anyway, this is not the point. Yes, it was a bad reference. <laughs> But it's, but That's as okay. we've proved, it was really the only one available to me. It was. Yeah. That was, yeah. How many emails sense. do you think I'll get now with people who are famous with Vitilago? I'm going to go over-unders 10. Um, that's okay. <laughs> I'll take those emails. Those I accept. By the way, you don't know this, um, but last night I got in bed and I got this, like, crappy text message, right? So I just added mm-hmm. a phone to my account. Um, mm-hmm. And... I'm going to use it just for the podcast and work and stuff like that. So right mm-hmm. now I'm getting a lot of like spammy texts <laughs> and some of them are very funny. and They're <laughs> popping up while you and I are talking. 
Are they diabetes related? Oh, no, these are not from anybody. I haven't given anyone this number yet. This is like the oh. thing happens like when they mm. recycle someone's number and you start like, so anyway, I've gotten one recently and the sender was, uh, it's a group text uh, and, and the group is called so this is obviously not somebody i actually know but i just want to give people the context that these are i'm in someone's group text right now that's wild who i don't know i can't even read some of these to you (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious but i'm trying to talk to you i'm talking to you and all my screen pops up all said and i'm like you've got to be kidding me so (laughs) it's unreal um you okay. would really like some of the podcasts. So I do. And I don't want you to feel like I don't actually listen. No, no. I mean, like I the more management-y stuff. I think there's some stuff mm-hmm. in there you would enjoy. Like you said, like you brought up stacking insulin. And mm-hmm. you said it sort of like it's this um this thing, like a rule. Like you can't give yourself insulin at certain like, what do you think of when you think of stacking insulin? So like taking my insulin for my meal and then also like a correctional amount. So basically when you give like too much at different times, they can't like work at the same time hmm. there's an episode episode 440 That's incorrect <laughs> is a def- is a defining diabetes so there's a whole series of terms that get defined so there's shorter episodes where i and a um is it me me and jenny uh it's not i was gonna say i oh my god me and jenny Jesus. I thought you were going to make a Taylor reference, Taylor's reference, Taylor Swift reference. What Taylor Swift reference would I have made if I said that? You were like, hi, it's me. I'm the podcast. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a look into your problems, not mine. And so, <laughs> so, so there's a defining diabetes episode called stacking insulin, where I explain, uh, along with Jenny, that stacking is a real thing. You can't just mm-hmm. like willy nilly give yourself insulin at 11, 11, 10, 11, 15, 11, 30, because yeah. eventually it's going to all catch up to you and crush you. Unless mm-hmm. you need the insulin, then it's not mm-hmm. stacking. That's bolusing. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a nuance that it gets lost on people because I think generally speaking, doctors don't want you obviously to end up with too much insulin on board and get low. I don't want you to do mm-hmm. that either. But what that leads to sometimes is people like in a grazing situation, like at a party or on Thanksgiving, who eat 15 mm-hmm. carbs and bolus for it. And then 20 minutes later, they have 20 more carbs, but they think, oh, I can't mm-hmm. bolus for this because that would be stacking. But mm-hmm. that's not stacking. That's mm-hmm. bolusing. And mm-hmm. and there's a difference. And you should, if you understood that, it would really mm-hmm. go a long way towards them, not only not getting high, but that crashing low later, a lows come from highs. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when you get really high, you eventually end up using a bunch of insulin and then that mm-hmm. food is digested out of your system, but the insulin remains behind and woof, you know, like you're, mm-hmm. then you fall through the floor. So mm-hmm. using the insulin mindfully and where it's needed is what's important. Mm-hmm. And anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what I had on that. I'm going <laughs> to awesome. check that out. <laughs> well, it's a good I, reminder. I'm telling you for you, there are algorithm episodes. There's one called Control IQ Ninja. You should totally check out. I have listened to that one, but it's a good refresher. Mm -hmm. And even just the pro tips in general, basically just talk to people about how to use insulin. So, and I think that helps whether you're, excuse me, I think that helps whether you're on MDI, uh, a manual pump. Isn't that funny now that there's an algorithm pump, regular pumps need a name. Yeah. And manual's not right, but it is. But it's original OG pumping, whether you're OG pumping or your or your algorithm pumping, still understanding how the insulin works is important. That's actually one of my I wouldn't call it like a huge concern, but I do 
I do think that there's a possibility that somewhere in the future, like we talked about earlier, someone's going to get diagnosed, slap on a CGM and an algorithm and never learn about diabetes at all. And maybe that's not going to matter, but I don't know. Maybe it it should. I think it should matter. It it matters to me. I think people should understand Mm -hmm. how their insulin works. I will say too, um, something that I thought was an underused service that I didn't get until I was older too was a nutritionist, which Mm -hmm. It seems really simple, but I've been seeing one now every year just to kind of maintain and ask questions. My diabetes educator is also there. And she's actually the one that recommended juice box, by the way, um, the mm-hmm. diabetes educator. She's lovely. Thank um, you to her. <laughs> but she basically was like, it all works together. So if you don't know what a carb is or how much sugar is in something or how it affects you, like all of that is in conjunction with what you're already doing with insulin um, and carb counting and things like that. But that was something that I was like, well, duh, now that I know like all these things, I'm like, why didn't I see a nutritionist, you know, many, many years ago? Yeah. And just in like looking back, that would have been really valuable too. The simplest thing that no one would tell you for reasons that pass understanding, is that 15 carbs of a baked potato and 15 carbs of white rice and 15 carbs of something else all impact your blood sugar differently. Yeah, 100%. But they all they tell you is count your carbs and put in your insulin. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I don't understand why my blood sugar is high. Like, or yeah. you know, like, like silly things, like it, the one that pops into my head most recently is that a um, the riper a banana gets, the harder it hits your blood sugar. Because it has, uh-huh. it technically has more sugar in it as it's ripening, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, no one tells you that, you, you know. Yeah. And then it's just, and then you go along eating, you know, a bananas, blah blah blah, for so long, and then all of a sudden you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to eat this one, but I will. And then boom, mm-hmm. I don't understand what happened. Diabetes is so unpredictable, you, you, you know. And then you start saying <laughs> things is. like that, where it turns out it was very predictable. You ate a, an incredibly ripe banana, and that's why it <laughs> yes. hit you differently. High sugar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's it's mm-hmm. super interesting. So. Um, okay, yeah. so you're not concerned about about having children. It's not in your head. How do you share your diabetes with your fiance? I'm interested in this because you've had it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Is it something that he's involved in? Is it something he's not involved in? Is it something he understands but doesn't touch? Like, wh- how does mm-hmm. that work? Yeah, definitely. So um, he's a dentist. So he's definitely learned a little bit about that. He's got patients that have high blood sugar issues and things like that and understands diabetes in general. Mm -hmm. So I I think it was really helpful to have someone with like kind of a background a little bit in it. So I talk about it constantly. Like he definitely is like, oh, I know that coffee spikes your blood sugar. So I I don't feel that I've like kept anything. I used to keep my A1C from him when it was kind of high, actually. So (laughs) that is something I was like a little ashamed about. I was like, I'm not telling you what it is this time. But Normally, I'm very open. Out of embarrassment or because you thought it didn't make yeah. you look like a good uh, uh, a good wife material? Where you're, like, you're like, I can't let this guy. I'm trying to I'm trying to get some of this sweet dentist money here. So, you know, okay. you know. Yeah, we first started dating. I couldn't use the shoot-up joke for like six months. I'm like, I got to like make sure he's in it for the long run, you know? I, um, that's something. So, so he yeah. – so let me like put you in a scenario. You get the flu. Okay. By the way, I hope you do not get the flu. But you get the flu and you're really mm-hmm. wrecked. He can mm-hmm. help you with your insulin? Could he make decisions autonomously or no? I think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we've been together long enough, too. I think he kind of like knows how everything operates. He's He came with me to – or he like understands like the control IQ, how mm-hmm. to like put – when I first got the pump, I could not figure out how to get the insulin into the like – 
what is it even called? The cartridge? (laughs) The cartridge. (laughs) I had to like read the instructions for a full like three days. And I'm like, okay, so you flick out the bubbles. And he like helped me with that. He like understood how that worked. But again, like I had only done it maybe twice at the, at the, you know, doctor's office. And I was like, I get really nervous. Tandem customer service, by the way, is 15 out of 10. They are incredible. They were on the phone with me. Yeah. For so long talking through stuff. So my point being is that he's watched me do it now a number of times that he can help with that um, and understand that stuff. I just changed the title of your episode when you didn't know what a cartridge was. I'm now (laughs) calling it, I'm now calling it Lucky Lauren. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Oh, my God. You're like, you just live in ignorant bliss. Must be nice. You're like, what's this thing I'm holding? What is this? It's a pen. You've been using them since you were four. Oh, it's wonderful. I just, it's just great. <laughs> Every time I want to write something down, it's there and it works. It's really, it's terrific. Who made this that's thing? So no, no, no. You're, you're, I, oh, I love the way. I imagine you're not a stressed out person. Uh, you know, I really try not to be. Yeah, no. Like, do you, do you have anxiety? A hundred percent. I lived in a Jewish household my whole life, but I, and I do think that the anxiety has also been really like motivating because I like am afraid to like do something wrong. So I think diabetes has actually helped me manage my anxiety, which I don't know if that's weird to say, but. Well, it is weird to say because because <laughs> no one's ever said it before, but I appreciate what you're yeah. getting at. Let me pick yeah. through it for a second. Do you think you have yeah. a diagnosed anxiety or do you think that you've just lived in a, you know, it, this is so weird now because. Of the of what's going on in the zeitgeist right now, and by that I mean <laughs> Kanye West losing his mind. Uh, oh, I, I so badly don't want to make a lot of like Jewish jokes, which I do see as very lighthearted. For instance, when you said you're marrying a dentist, I thought, I well, of course you are. And you're like, <laughs> like, this girl's a cliche all around. <laughs> your mom was not going to let that not happen, and so, um, <laughs> but but um, like, do you mean? Real anxiety, meaning like diagnosable anxiety, or do you mean that like energy that I don't know how to quantify, but every one of like, I have a, I have a very good friend. He's a cliche is the best way I can say it. Like he's vibrating and worried about everything. And we can have these great conversations where we complain about the whole world. I love complaining, Lauren. In a way that is hard to put into words. I just, I don't, I'm not really upset. I just love to complain. It's like one of my favorite pastimes. I can't even do it around my wife anymore because she hates it. But I get together with my buddy. We can complain about anything, like like anything. And it's like a sport. But he is, I've never met a person more worried about everything in my entire life. And I don't know if that's literally genetic. Like if it's just, if it's passed down, if it's learned I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know where it emanates yeah. from. Like, I've heard Jewish friends say whose parents were kind of like grew up around the Holocaust, right? Like, not they mm-hmm. weren't weren't directly involved, but maybe they were the children of somebody. And that they mm-hmm. say, like, there's a sadness and a mm-hmm. worry and this feeling that something bad is going to happen that they live yeah. with and, mm-hmm. and that maybe that's where that kind of comes from. And I don't mm-hmm. disbelieve that. I, they say that the potato famine had like a major impact on... Um, on Irish people. And that's why you Mm -hmm. see a lot of depression. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard it bantered Mm -hmm. about. And so anyway, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm wondering. Like, do you think you're like clinically anxious or do you think you've just lived around a lot of anxiety? 
For sure. So to answer your question about like generational trauma, I think that's totally a real thing. I think I grew up in a household where both my parents or my dad's parents were Holocaust survivors and he was always anxious about, you know, where his meals would come from. So he overbought groceries when I was a child. So as a kid, for sure, I I bet that I went undiagnosed with anxiety. I worried about everything, the weather, things I couldn't control about, you know, what I was going to wear then, you know, certain things that maybe are trivial now, but um, now as an adult, I, I don't think I have like a clinical diagnosis. I think I've just learned to manage um, certain expectations or learn to like sit with some feelings, just practicing some of that stuff. But for sure, as a kid, I think it came from having parents that were just nervous about everything. So that made me nervous about everything. It, I can't say that I've, I've seen it enough that it's no. definitely real. And, and the generational mm-hmm. trauma thing is amazing. Yeah. I, I once had an argument with someone It was around the time of Katrina, which is a really long time ago. He says, I don't understand why those, why, why they didn't just leave. Like, how did that hurricane hit them? And I said, can you imagine being in a situation that for the love of transportation or the tiniest bit of money, you can't escape a hurricane? I said, that's not something that just happens. That happens to you over generations. Right, right. Like, and it's not a thing Like, you don't, you're not born and decide I'm going to grow up one day and not have enough money to run away from actual destruction. That, that Mm -hmm. is a thing that happens to you. It is not a thing you decide to do. And you, and people can hear that and go, oh, you could work hard and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all that. That's all well and good. But you can't pull yourself up from your bootstraps when your boots are 50 feet down in a hole and you can't, and, and that's where you're starting, right? Mm-hmm. And so I made that point to him. And I do think of this in, in a similar way. Like, is it funny to, you know, watch Seinfeld and go, oh, there's crazy Jews. Like, 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 you know, like, look how nervous he is. Like, it, it, okay, it's funny. When I talk to my friend and do I sometimes say to him, like, man, are you Okay. Like, like, this is not a real problem. Like, don't worry about this. Mm-hmm. And he, and he'll say, I know, but I can't help it, mm-hmm. y- you know? And, um, it's just, I don't know. Like, that's not yeah. a, that's not a decision you make. That's a thing that happens mm-hmm. to you. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I think there are things you can get yourself out of in life. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some things that you're, you're stuck with for the lack of a better word sometimes. So anyway, yeah. anyway, I Definitely. appreciate your opinion about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to? Anything I've left out or we haven't gotten to? I don't think so. I feel like I definitely explored aspects of diabetes that I don't think day to day. So I appreciate like your questions and just being, you know, open to hearing my side. I know that a lot of it is kind of all over the place. So I've never really told that story fully before. So I appreciate just being given a platform to do so. No, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm thrilled that you reached out and wanted to do it. Like I said, just the parathyroid Hypo thingy, bubby. What is it called? <laughs> Hyperparathyroidism. I'm sorry. I had it up in front of me earlier, <laughs> and then I took it down to look at something completely ridiculous <laughs> that I That's never even, that I never even brought up. Well, I appreciate this very much. I really do. It's a lot of time you took out, and it's a real honest story you told. I hope you feel good about it because, like, at no point was I saying like, "Wow, you got lucky. Like, you weren't trying." Like, I, I you know that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. I think some pieces fell into place for you that made mm-hmm. your path clearer, maybe, you, you, you know, do you, and now that you've yeah. heard me say that, do you have any feelings about hearing it said? 
Yeah, definitely. I will say, I don't think the initial process was easy. I think it was really tough, like getting diagnosed. That part was awful, like just right. being in the hospital for a period of time. But I think, yeah, afterward, I think I I was kind of just like, all right, this is kind of what it is. It's not going anywhere. So I might as well kind of learn to like sit with it and live with it and navigate the best I can. And I, I think that part did take a lot. I'm acting like it was nothing. Like it definitely was a process. Um, no, I don't mean easy, like, like easy. I mean, I mean, like on a super simple level, as an example, I mean that if you just because of upbringing decided to eat a pretty steady diet Mm -hmm. and that diet ended up being one that matched well with your regimen, Mm -hmm. that's kind of lucky and you don't know it Mm -hmm. because if you grew up in a house, I guess this is coming full circle now. So if this, Mm -hmm. if you grew up in a house where your grandmom said, well, we don't worry about we don't worry about diet and you were having mm-hmm. a ring ding for breakfast and washing it down with a glass of chocolate milk and then having Kool-Aid for lunch along mm-hmm. with a deep fried, you know, something you yeah. would not have the same outcomes using the strict yeah. management that you were given from the doctor. Your blood sugars would be way higher and yeah. your A1Cs would have been significantly higher. And so mm-hmm. that is the sense that I mean, lucky mm-hmm. right there. Not Absolutely. like, not like, diabetes didn't come for you and you're <laughs> dancing through it like it's singing in the rain. You know what I mean? Like just, yeah. just that like things lined up for you that worked out better than, mm-hmm. than other things may have. Does that yeah. make sense? Absolutely. Right. I didn't have to change too many like big life things. Like, yes, my parents always ate very healthy. I've always done sports and things like that. Right. So I didn't have to change too many drastic yeah. lifestyle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, just being inactive yeah. would have been a significant Mm-hmm. detriment to you you, you know mm-hmm. like you, because a1c's would go up uh insulin um wouldn't work as well like insulin works better when you're hydrate, like significantly better when you're hydrated so if yeah. you just were lucky enough to grow up in a household yeah. where people are like hey make yeah. sure you have a couple glasses of water today that mm-hmm. actually would be a thing you wouldn't know was benefiting you that that really would have been so absolutely all yeah. right, all right so I, I like that outlook on it well yeah i mean <laughs> listen i've heard enough unlucky people like seriously, like I've heard people who grew up in households that were undereducated, who didn't understand nutrition at all, who are now in significant problems. And I don't give them, I guess the way to make you understand how I feel is like, I don't blame them. And I know more than I'm giving you credit for the thing that just is, is how your life was. You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I could take yeah. your exact management style and drop it on another person and they wouldn't be in your situation anymore because you didn't have the idea of adjusting and moving. Mm -hmm. You would have just got what you got. Right. You know, anyway, I don't know. Right. Yeah. We play the cards we're dealt the best that we can. And you're the one playing them because if you Mm -hmm. dealt me the same cards, I might do Mm -hmm. something different with them. Right. This is my point. All right. (laughs) I support it. You support it, but you don't (laughs) like that. You don't like the title though. Lucky Lauren. You don't like it. I can tell. It's fine. I think we could do better. Well, what do you want to do? You and I will figure it out. Do you want to just take it out of these text messages? What if... It was your best one. What if if I just said, Lauren got it (laughs) popping? I think that would... (laughs) 
feel like that wouldn't feel like it's about time. <laughs> no, it's got nothing. Oh, you 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 have to dig through the episode titles a little more. None of them are about diabetes. Oh, oh got it. Got it. Well, that's well. IQ Ninja was the last one you said. But yeah, that well, that is, was like, about management tip. specifically. Yeah. Um. Oh. There's a. I think there's an episode called uh, "The Frozen Urine of Diabetes" or something like that, which trust me only makes sense if you hear it, and then probably only makes sense a little bit. Uh, I can't use that word in your title. I I don't know what. What does H R U U mean? H what? H R U U. Is it like a? Is it like a an internet? How are you? Oh, is that what it means? I would assume so. I'm looking at it right now. High rated underage users work group. That's definitely not it. Hold oh. on. What does it mean? <laughs> what is it? That was from that was from like a government website. H R U is an acronym meaning "How are you?" Uh, mm. listen, yeah. See, you're younger than me. That made sense to you. Um. And then somebody said, good, how are you back? Um, Heating up this group chat. Someone's calling me Manny. Oh, I have an idea for a title. Go ahead. What about like diabetes entered the chat? Oh. Not great. Well, I don't know. It's a a little on the nose, but I don't mind it. Um, We're getting closer. All right. So here, we'll do something that I usually do at the end together. I I, Usually I say goodbye, and then I I do this. I talk to myself. I go, um... Lauren's 32 years old. She was diagnosed in 2009 at the age of 19. She went on a trip to Israel where she was diagnosed with hyperparathyroidism, has type 1 diabetes, uses control IQ and Dexcom G6, resisted a pump for many years, um, didn't like needles in the beginning. We joked about calling the episode Last Action Hero, Lucky Lauren, or... Diabetes. Red roof in. Red oh. roof. Ooh, the red roof in. <laughs> Holy, why don't we just do that, Lauren? That's great. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's just do that. Okay. okay. We're just going to call your episode. Is it going to be the red roof in? Oh, hmm. else is good, by the way, in case you guys were wondering. <laughs> I don't, Let me clarify that. I did not mean that. Am I going to have to bleep this out? No. No. I, I did not mean that. Um, that was good. I meant the guy or girl, I guess if I'm being fair, is doing well because they were asked how they were and they said good. And the person who's talking with them is also good in case you guys are wondering. Uh, there's a new text. It's kind of late. So um, what's you guys' names? Oh, am I in a like a random chat? They might have just taken random numbers. And put them together. Mm. All right. Who knew they got a celebrity in there? Yeah, can can you imagine right now if they knew what was happening? I think the dynamic of the chat would change. Do you want me to tell them? Sure. Don't okay. use my name though. No, we're not going to use names. Hold on. So, okay, hold on a second. You are? Do you have time for this? I know you're busy. I do. You're like a real job. I took a really. half day at work today. I actually have another question for you. As crazy, mm-hmm. way do you see me trans? Way do you see me transition from this back to my question? Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Hold on a second. All right, so I said, hey, everyone, no idea how I got in this chat, but I am currently recording a very popular podcast. I will not tell you which one, but we've been reading your text into the recording as this went on. If you have anything to say to the people, this is your last chance. Now, while we see if they respond, I'm going to ask my question, which, again, I don't mean any disrespect to. Do you have any insight on... Autism is an interesting thing, right? Because Mm -hmm. it feels like it just showed up. excuse me, which it didn't, obviously, but we became very aware of it, I guess is probably Mm -hmm. how it happened. So Mm -hmm. then common sense would tell you that in the past, 
people grew up on different, I, I guess, uh, I mean, autism is a spectrum, right? Like, so there are mm-hmm. people who have grown up on that spectrum who are now adults. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how many of us are dating, married to, related to a person with autism who doesn't know they have autism? Hmm. Do you think that happens? Do you ever meet people as adults and think, because you would know, right? Like if you were talking to me and I had autism, would you be able to like smell it on me? You know what I no, mean? That, I don't do like any diagnosing. I People always ask me this question. I have experience working with individuals of a wide range of abilities. And I might be like, oh, that matches something maybe I've seen with an adult with autism. But I would never be like, Scott, you do all this, this, and this. You have this. No, I definitely. And for the people out there, I do not diagnose whatsoever. Um, okay, so, I hear so what you're saying, legally though. you don't, and like technically <laughs> you don't, but you've never been at a party and you're like, yo, that guy's on the spectrum. I mean, it's definitely like crossed my mind where I'm like, okay, it's the social skills maybe are a little subpar, like, you know, again, like lack of eye contact is a big one, but colloquially, I wouldn't be like, oh, every single person knows someone. Like, it's definitely being more diagnosed now just because like that label is maybe also no longer like, People aren't afraid of that to be. So yeah. that that's my follow up question: Is mm-hmm. are we now just calling awkward adults autistic? I don't think you still have to go through some like testing, but okay. I definitely think that like people are getting the label a lot more than they did before because they're matching certain behaviors that are associated with it. Okay, yeah, because it's. I mean, if you think about it, like in reverse, if you marry, I don't know, this guy. Okay. And, and 35 years from now, find out that something's going on with him that was previously unknown to, you know, medicine or, you know, the general population. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like it would be weird to just look up one day and go, oh my God, I had no idea about that. And does it, mm-hmm. and then my question is, does it really matter if it didn't so. really impact anything? And, yeah. and And does it just become trendy at some point to say, I have this, like, because that does happen, mm-hmm. right? There's that, um, what is it called? Like a social contagion where mm. su- where suddenly everybody just says like, oh, I'm that, you, you know, and then they start, I don't yeah. think, you know what I mean? I hear what you're saying. I do think people are just more open to it. I think there's less of a stigma now. So people aren't afraid to be like, oh, my son has autism versus like he has defiance disorder, like which maybe he also does. But mm-hmm. I think it's like one of those things that now insurance covers AB therapy, but you need a diagnosis. So to be able to get certain services, you actually like need to have that requirement of having like an actual, you know, diagnosis to get that stuff. So I think that's a big factor also. And would and maybe you're not the right person to ask, but would people who mm-hmm. I'm going to say legitimately, but I don't mean it that way. But like people who, you know, legitimately are on that spectrum have autism, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Is it insulting to them for someone to roll around and be like, I'm autistic? Because I've seen adults do it. Like people are just like, I have autism. I'm like, what the, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, like like, it, 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 it would seem insulting to me. If I was, I think it's insensitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right, right. Okay. Well, right, well, and, but I again, but I wouldn't equate it to like if someone comes up to me and they're like, "Ugh, my blood sugar's low. I need to eat something." I wouldn't be offended by it, but I think because autism is like it, it's a community. It's people are very proud to be autistic too. It's no longer something where people are like, "I'm trying to fix these people." Like sure. it's you know. So yeah. I think that is that would be very insensitive to be like, "I have sensory issues. I have autism." You might have sensory issues, but if you weren't diagnosed, it's not fair to say you have autism you know the first place i became aware of this that that feeling um through the podcast was uh, a person who has ptsd said i'm sick of everybody who's been through something scary telling me they have ptsd 
they don't mm-hmm. know what PTSD is. They, mm-hmm. You know, like, like it, and I think it be, it, I think it's one of those things that was colloquial since you used the word, mm-hmm. I'll use it too. And then, um, because, and then because people started to understand PTSD better, it became insensitive to say, and I'm not usually a person who's, um, <clears throat> real worried about what's insensitive. I guess that became obvious as we were talking. But I do, in these these specific scenarios, I do think it's just shit to do, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest with you. Yeah. You, you know, if you don't have yeah. PTSD running around saying you have it, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's almost yeah. like... I, 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 it's almost like stolen valor a little bit, like in the right, same like way. Right, like cheapens you know I mean? the label kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, don't, don't say you were there if you weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, all right. I kept you longer than you imagined you were going to be kept. That's this okay. was really great. I enjoy talking to somebody who doesn't listen to the podcast a lot. So, because um, you didn't always know where I was going. And I was like, this is better. Um, oh, good. Yeah, this was terrific. All right. I'm going to, um, I'm going to so say much. goodbye. Hold on one second for me. Okay. Okay. First, I want to thank Lauren for coming on the show and sharing her story. Absolutely fantastic conversation. I'd also like to thank Cozy Earth and remind you to use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% off of your entire purchase at CozyEarth.com. U.S. Med, that's where Arden gets her diabetes supplies. You should check them out. USMed.com forward slash JUICEBOX or call 888-721. One five one four. If you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, tell somebody else about it. We're always looking for new listeners, and don't forget the private Facebook group, Juice Box Podcast, Type One Diabetes, with over forty thousand members. It's absolutely free, and there's a conversation happening right now that you would love. If you have Type Two or pre-diabetes, the Type Two Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast is exactly what you're looking for. Do you have a friend or a family member who is struggling to understand their type 2 and how to manage it? This series is for them. Seven episodes to get you on track and up to speed. Episode 860, Series Intro. 864, Guilt and Shame. Episode 869, Medical Team. 874, Fueling Plan. Episode 880, Diabetes Technology. Episode 885, GLP-1s, Metformin and Insulin. And in episode 889, we talk about movement. This episode is with me and Jenny Smith. Of course, you know Jenny is a certified diabetes care and education specialist. She's a registered and licensed dietitian. And Jenny has had type 1 diabetes for over 30 years. Too many people don't understand their type 2 diabetes. And this series aims to fix that. Share it with a friend or get started today.